thanks a lot for coming bro appreciate yeah it. i appreciate it i'm glad i could uh could, could i i really yeah. wanted to do it so i was gonna let's go make it work let's hit this intro all right cool ready welcome to the not a genius podcast my name is jesse i'm your host and my name is josh i'm your co-host and today we have Joel Amin Jr. He's one of my buddies from the University of Delaware. We met about five, six years ago, and now we share an office space, and he's doing crazy things inside of the city of Wilmington, as well as underwriting for some major big banks and some funds. I'm not sure if that's a proper right term, if he works for a bank or not, but he can share more a little bit about that subject in this podcast. So Joel, what's up, man? How's everything going with you? Hey guys, thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be here, Josh and Jesse. Uh, this is something I've wanted to do for a long time um, and just really honored to be here. Yeah, for sure, man. All right, I know you say that, or you said that you work for Sinair. Is Sinair a bank or what? what is their role? Are they private equity? So Sinair uh, is actually what is called a community development financial institution. It's funny, we were talking about our friend Vince DeFeliz not too long ago. But he's actually what I consider the grandfather of the CDFI with his work with the reinvestment fund. Um, and it's just essentially a it's a community development financial institution and banks invest in these CDFIs so that the, they can do a lot of the community work that they're supposed to. Um, backing up a little bit, each bank has what's called a Community Reinvestment Act obligation, meaning they have to loan money to people of low income in the communities that the deposits are held. So each bank, regardless of their size and nature, has to invest, give money to this, uh, you know, to satisfy the CRA obligation. One way they do it is by investing in CDFIs, who then turn around and lend money and underwrite loans to people who typically wouldn't be able to get them. Wow. Thanks for the summary. I appreciate it. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I remember when WomanVest was just a baby inside the Summer Founders program. And nowadays, you guys are still involved inside the city of Wilmington. You and Bryce are still friends, still going strong at it, still investing inside the city in different ways as well. Can you talk a little bit kind of about your origin stories, not just business, but where you came from? Because I know you also have a really crazy background, come from a family of trades, and that instilled a lot of hard work, ethics within you. And you know, made you who you are today. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to dive in and share about that. So we really describe Wilman Vess as the traditional fixer-upper meeting social innovation. Um, like you mentioned, Jesse, I was inspired my whole life by uh, my family, my parents. Um, and I love that you have some of this story as well. F uh, family who came over and started their own businesses, worked very hard to provide for themselves and their family. Um, so my dad, being one of eight kids, six boys, two girls, he is a plumber. He's had a plumbing company for 25 years, and that was pretty much all I knew growing up. During the summers when everyone was out having fun, I had to go to work. And at the time, I was, you know, I didn't like that, but now I look back and I'm so thankful that he he put that, that work ethic in me. Um, now, not to say I didn't have fun, I didn't get to do, you know, have a great childhood, I definitely did. But the working environment he put me in and all my uncles put me in is why I was able to start this business in college. And so Wilmanvest is a social impact real estate investment company. We specialize in the acquisition, renovation, and renting of single family properties, primarily throughout Wilmington, Delaware. And we started the company initially because Wilmington had a problem. 
at Horn Entrepreneurship, they teach problem, problem, problem. So at the time, everybody and their mother was talking about Wilmington, vacant properties, blight, crime. So that was number one, identifying the problem. I obviously had the passion, the skills for renovating properties, but putting together the whole model, that last piece, renting, that's uh, when the Summer Founders Business Accelerator really came in handy because it forced us to get out into the community, talk to various nonprofits, housing organizations to really dive into this problem to understand what a potential solution could be. And it took a while, you know, it took some time for us to get traction, for us to prove out this model, raise funds. But eventually in 2019, we launched a pilot while we were in school, somehow convinced an investor to invest $100,000 cash into two 19-year-olds. And we bought three houses in Riverside, an area where people, my own family, begged me not to invest. They said, it's dangerous. There's a dump nearby. There's a... a um, wastewater processing plant, this this will never be a good investment. Fast forward a couple years, those properties have more than doubled in value. Um, $60 million has gone into Riverside via the uh, Reach Riverside project that's going on. And um, we've quadrupled the portfolio since then. That was how we got our start in college, Horn, um, various pitch competitions, mentors, the accelerator, and uh, now we recently, actually this summer, have just surpassed over a million dollars in assets. And, um, you know, the scale the scale is different for everybody. This is just a drop in the bucket in the long-term big picture of real estate, as you know, Jesse. Um, but know that this company is very intentional about the impact that it has created, that we are learning about. And we absolutely have sacrificed, you know, short-term profits and growth to learn and navigate these uh, complex public-private partnerships um, because there's a lot below the surface there. Dude, I just love how well-spoken you are. Yeah, right? This I was going to say. <laughs> Thank Dude, you. This is why I wanted to have Joel on the podcast because I know he will sound good. Dude, this man has been through the ringer when it has come to pitch competitions, stress, working at night, perf- uh, probably perfecting your deck. You guys are probably essentially unpaid uh what's called investment bankers essentially (laughs) to make this entire thing happen can you talk a little to um to the audience and us about what it was like to be part of that startup accelerator as well as go to all these different pitch all these different pitch competitions talk to investors and be in front of very influential people Absolutely. So this this is definitely, I'd say, a, a, a specialty of ours, a strength of ours. The reason why we were able to touch people when we pitched was, one, the story. People really loved the story behind friends in middle school coming together who've always been actively involved in the community and coming together to address a problem, a real problem that a lot of people wanted solved. So it was the story it was the passion that they saw. And then, as you mentioned, um, pitching, this was something we were crazy about. And having been friends with my two partners since middle school, I mean, there were countless times where there was presentations in school or um, 
presentations for a, a government student government group where we were always talking in front of people collaborating pitching so um we were very good at memorizing our pitches being in sync with each other and i'm telling you it sounds crazy but the pitch and the story in so many cases really put us over the top to where we traveled the country from everywhere from manhattan to Minneapolis, a place I never thought I would go. And we were winning tens of thousands of dollars at these pitch competitions while still in school. So that was really the base. If we didn't have that 30 or 40 grand that we had got from pitch competitions, I don't know that the lady would have ended up investing the hundred thousand dollars because we said, we'll buy three houses with your money, but we didn't have additional funds to fix them up. So it wasn't until we started winning some pitch competitions that, you know, we could put some of our, you know, own skin in the game. And then she believed in us. So she bought the houses, we fixed them up with our proceeds. Um, and we just took advantage of every single opportunity, online, in person pitch to get ourselves out there. And um, we just, we really tried to use that as much as we could. You guys were like the golden child of horn entrepreneurship. <laughs> yeah. It was amazing to see the run. And still see the run continuing to go because we share the same office and I see all your guys' awards. And I remember when you were traveling with Vince um, when I was a senior in college or something like that. Or maybe it was a little bit before then. You, were, you guys were traveling with Vince to this competition. I don't remember which one it was, but you guys came back with money. E-Fest. E-Fest. That e was one of the coolest experiences of, of, of my life. We uh, met the founder of Best Buy, the original founder of Best Buy, puts on his own pitch competition in, in Minneapolis. This guy's a multi-billionaire. Uh, Dick Schultz is his name. And uh, UD, we got invited to participate. I think there's probably 100 other schools um, and there was, I mean, this was three days of different types of events. So there was like a pitch slam. There was a group a, a exercise where you actually split up and went and worked with other people, but we actually had success in like two of the three events. So wow. we, we ended up bringing back some attention, some money. And funny enough, Vince actually flew us back first class. That was a, a crazy little perk that we don't tell a lot of people about, but he, he hooked us first up. That class. Day. First yeah. class. I had never never flown first class before that. So were you pitching Woman Best the entire time? The whole time, yep. Like yep. at all your competitions? That's Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So when did it start exactly? Like in the beginning of college or Woman Best? So I had always been in uh so it's funny. I, I didn't I didn't have a major my freshman year. I was undeclared, actually, funny enough, all the way up until my junior year. What? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I had always been taking classes, you know, entrepreneurial classes, because I knew that was a track I wanted to go down, but I didn't get accepted initially into the major. It, it's a very competitive program. At the time, I think they were accepting only like 30, 40 people per year in their undergrad. So I didn't get in. And but I still took the classes because I knew I wanted to go down that path. And um, Wilman Vest really took shape though because of Vince's uh, uh, what is that startup experience class. That's mm -hmm. what actually forced us to sit down and really solidify a model and a pitch to actually turn it from a 
concept to reality. Um, so there was startup experience one, there was then uh, the Summer Founders Business Accelerator, and then startup experience two. Those three, two classes and one accelerator were really where it became true. Yeah, it felt like Tuesday and Wednesday from 6 to 9 p.m. was a small board meeting every single week about 10 different businesses because there were about 30 people and there were three people per team, 10 different businesses, and everyone's learning how to build their own businesses. Some sink, some float, some stick, some don't. You know what's interesting though actually that I'm now thinking about also is Although things started to take shape, Bryce and I have realized I don't think that the company really started until we got our first customer, until we signed a contract, until we were getting a customer to pay us money for our value. That's when we truly say is the start. So that and when when was that? That was in 2019. So was when that we the actually 100K? got the houses and yeah, got the so, so were you doing anything in real estate besides WomanVest before that? Or was that like your first time actually boots on the ground? So I kind of caught the bug because in addition to my dad running his plumbing business, once a year in the summer, we would fix up an old house. These old houses were or are his retirement plan. He, you know, he didn't go to college. He um, is not super uh, knowledgeable about finance at least back then he wasn't when he was growing up now he's since um, learned a lot more but essentially this was what we did once a summer it was our special side project and one year he was having trouble renting out the property to the market so he came across this opportunity with a group called horizon house (laughs) this uh this organization deals specifically with people that are overcoming uh substance abuse issues or mental health issues and they'll pay rent for the placement of these clients and in some cases they'll do it on a per room basis and so after essentially exploring this program seeing benefits on both sides it was the first time that he essentially did a program or you know subsidized rent and that idea that concept of the subsidy is really what led us down the path of families coming out of homelessness and this whole Mm. extra piece, um, you know, around the renting phase that we do. So watching him not only physically fix the properties, but then this whole problem where, you know, he was having trouble with the market for a little bit. And Mm. then we realized there's agencies and groups and nonprofits that have access to funds who will subsidize the rents for people. Wow. I know you started the business with two of your best friends growing from your childhood. Can you talk to me about like what is it like working with people that you're very close to? What's that dynamic like? What are some of the conflicts that come about? And and how's your partnership structured? I'm really curious. Oh, I I also wanted to know like what are the good things about that as well? Yeah, yeah. So I I'll say that I'm I'm definitely blessed to be in this business with uh, my partner, Bryce Fender, specifically. Um, And I still have uh, our partner, Demetrius. He still owns a very small fractional share, you know, from Manhattan. Um, But I, I, for the most part, am for partnerships with friends who you can trust. You know, trust is very important. And your values aligning are extremely important. 
um, I'd say that, you know, the reason why me and Bryce are here working on the day-to-day and, you know, have the ownership in the company that we do is because we are very aligned in our values in, you know, why we're doing this. And we did have to have that conversation with, you know, Demetrius back then um, because it was it was quite obvious, you know, as, as you're coming out of college, everyone has needs, everyone has wants. And, you know, we didn't want to hold him back from things he wanted and we didn't want to hold that against him. If, you know, impact and the families wasn't as close to his heart as it was to ours, that was okay. And so understanding what everyone values was super important and it did take time to really all get comfortable with each other, all get used to each other and and accept that, you know what, it's okay that Demetrius wants to make lots of money and we want to explore this impact work. We're going to take care of ourselves, of course, at the same time, but that, that was what initially caused the three of us to turn into more or less two Two, working on the day-to-day. And so we still have a great and healthy relationship with Demetrius. He actually works for the largest REIT in the world, uh, Equity Commonwealth. I'm sorry, in the country. Equity Commonwealth. um, It's like a $9 billion REIT, and he's crushing it. He works on real estate investment trusts. He works on luxury multifamily developments in all the major cities across the world billion dollar acquisitions it's it's ridiculous the, is the investment he banker he um he's he's actually he's an analyst funny he's enough an analyst. his title is an analyst yeah um just like i'm an analyst for Sinair, but with the affordable on the affordable side literally night and day <laughs> but yeah he 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 uh underwrites um equity investments in the in the luxury multifamily space oh that's super cool mm-hmm. but uh so so as i was saying um we we I, I we work really well together, Bryce and I. We talk often. I mean, we're almost like the same person. And people in school would joke that we were like basically married. Yeah. Um. And and I I, I sometimes do. It does feel like a second relationship. But uh, funny enough, <laughs> You're just calling like each I other at eleven at night, one a.m. in the morning. Yeah. It happens. Yeah. Me and Kenny too. But I think it's important to be able to trust somebody to make yourself vulnerable. And as lo- as long as you know that person's intentions and motivations are truly, you know, aligned, pure, and good, and I'll say like Bryce would give the shirt off his back to somebody in the street. Like I don't know a lot of people who are as honest and kind, and would always do the right thing, even more than me. Mm-hmm. Um, Bryce is that guy, so I've I've never really had any animosity towards him. You know, that's um, really cool. Yeah, it's 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 honestly surprisingly worked out very well for us and i'd attribute that right to his the motivations and then mm-hmm. um spirituality wise you know he's a very um upright guy and that that's definitely a big part of my background as well and i think that really kind of drives it drives it home to where we, we both know we're just trying to do good work and we see we see things happen in our business and in our journey that is like, it just points to, it points back to that to me. It seems like it's um, part of a, part of just a good intention plan. Do you think that because you and Bryce went to the University of Delaware together and Demetrius went to another school and he had a, a separate role from you guys and you and Bryce were more so 
like CEO and COO in operations doing so much work intertwined with one another that it kind of just made sense that you guys um, were so much more aligned having not seen Demetrius as often. It was just, wow, maybe you guys were growing together, you know, linking arms and whatever um, Demetrius was investing himself in, in, investing himself into, he was growing in that direction. And that's kind of what caused, um, you know, the partnership to not part, but as much as it unwind the way that it did. I'd say it has definitely has a, a part in it. Um, he went to Wharton, you know, University of mm-hmm. Pennsylvania. There's a lot of smart people around there, a lot of finance guys, a lot of very successful families. Um, so he definitely was always around that element a lot. Um, where it was kind of more down to earth over here and less about the flashy lifestyle. Um, so again, going back to like motivations and intentions, he's very motivated by money, profit. You know, there's nothing wrong with, you know, making money. Um, at the time, we more so valued the impact and the model that we were looking to create. So that was really the main thing at the end of the day was profit versus purpose, um, that that and and that was okay and it, it took us it took me personally I know a while to accept that you know everyone can and is entitled to their different opinions their different values yeah, definitely it's truly so if you just you know see that then then it that that's what allowed us to uh, kind of accept it move on and he's happy we're happy so would you say that you're the visionary for Woman Vest and Bryce is more of the integrator, trying to make a lot of the difficult things in the vision happen, come to fruition. Ab- absolutely, I uh, I'll sell something probably that I shouldn't be selling before it's even uh, a thought. Um, I love to to uh, I love to sell. I love to I love uh, getting yeses. I love to please people. Uh, I definitely am the visionary. Um, I'll put out an idea that's pretty out there, but he can help me to digest it to uh, create steps that need to be taken. Um, absolutely. So what's currently the really big vision when it comes to woman vest? Because I know right now Bryce is hustling the streets, selling real estate, working on his puzzle business, doing really great things. I really respect and admire the guy. And he's still putting a lot of time and effort into Woman Vest because he believes in the long-term vision. So what is that long-term vision for you guys that will get Bryce working full-time in Woman Vest strictly? So what's interesting is we've been developing and creating relationships over the past couple of years in, in, this, uh, in this space. Um, I'd say the affordable housing space uh, is a very niche one within real estate. So there's entirely different funding sources. Sometimes there's uh, resources that you can tap into, but the only way to really get to those resources is to know who controls them, who's actually responsible for you know these good things in the community happen happening. So now that we've been at this for a couple of years and we have a track record and we have some experience, which was always the big thing that was kind of, uh, uh, um, you know, blocking us to get to those big uh, foundations and such forth. 
we're now able to go back to these same people all these years later and they're saying, wow, look at what you guys have done. This is amazing. Um, we've been supported in the past by Barclays Bank, by their CRA officer. Um, this was not this year, but 2020, we were given a grant of $25,000. So as most people don't know, you know, when you're just investing in real estate, typically you're not just going to get grants from people. But because of this impact, this, this focus that we have on the family piece, we're now able to tap into resources like this. And so we actually recently received a forward commitment for 2023 for $50,000 from the same guy. Wow. And so as I've been learning more about finance and how to leverage capital, I'm, I'm doing, I'm making that $50,000 go so much further than just buying a house with it. So there's grants, there's other community development financial institutions, CDFI. So I work for one, Sanair. But there's two others in Wilmington. Um, I'm on the community advisory board for one, True Access Capital. They have loan products which give you a They have low interest loans. They can do things that regular banks and financial institutions typically cannot. So I'm I'm trying to really leverage um, philanthropic donors slash investors and private investors to raise money, then I have to, you know, find the projects to deploy it in. And then finally, con by uh, continuing our relationship, which started at Delaware Health and Social Services, uh, that's how we were getting the contracts to, to pay our rents. And so we first started with a $50,000 contract, and then we had two $50,000 contracts um, the director has since moved over to Wilmington Housing Authority, but we're essentially look we're, we're we're establishing the same type of contracts and or vouchers. We're now opening up to to voucher like regular Section Eight vouchers as well, but getting these contracts with state housing authorities or state social service agencies to ensure consistent rent. So we're just trying to continue honestly doing what we have been doing but bigger and better and again it did take us some time to to figure out how these pieces work all together but now that we have an idea and we we know the same people i i feel like we're going to be able to go back to barclays back to discover we met wsfs recently and this this is the model this is what we've really been so excited about building because it's it's the act of using these partners in each phase to drive down your cost and keep consistent revenue um, in the end, which is really like our unique value. So do you, what is your guys's current direction? When is it to acquire larger multifamily or is it to possibly develop more affordable housing units within Wilmington? Is it to go beyond Wilmington to do the same thing? I know that, you talk to me about other states and how, oh, you can just use that name, put invest after it. And then it's like, oh, this is like a child company or, right. you know, a cousin company or whatever. So what are you guys trying to do in terms of asset investment? So right now we're very focused on getting our single family portfolio to at least 25 properties. If I can get the single family portfolio to this place, the income from the portfolio, 
is enough plus um to take care of you know two people full time plus potentially some administrative maybe some property management help so we'd like to at least get the single family portfolio to 25 and at that point we will start to look at and we already have started to evaluate some multifamily opportunities but i really do feel comfortable and empowered managing the single family home um it's it's you know been a journey getting really comfortable with them but i feel like as and especially this is because of my tradesman background and you know the fact that i even i i like genuinely enjoy doing some of this stuff um it that that's really a a key advantage in managing some of these properties um and i really think single families are just a if you buy it and you're going to hold long term i mean you really can't lose um in this yeah. environment where things are going up and down up and down I prefer simply just buying, holding, and renting um, as opposed to flipping. Um, it's just a time-tested model, and we know that it's something we can handle. Vince was always big on capabilities, capabilities, capabilities. What is your, you know, something you know you can easily handle? And the, the single families, I just want to keep climbing that ladder until I reach a critical mass and, and can do something really cool. So how, how close are you guys to 25? So right now we have 13 properties and then we have money held in escrow accounts or accounts that should have been deployed, but due to issues, you know, issues on the seller's end, um, that deal is not going to work out. So we're likely going to have to pivot and find another one, okay. but uh, we're at 13 properties currently. That's but, okay. What's your criteria for these properties? Single family, Wilmington, two to three beds, typically anywhere from 900 to 1400 square feet um you know it's a standard standard row home typically that's what we're looking for what type of ratio are you guys looking for in terms of purchase to rehab to after repair value i'll buy anywhere from i'll buy as low as possible of course course. but like our first properties in wilmington we bought for thirty thousand dollars a piece i mean now people are trying to to sell really crappy ones for 40 50 60 but our model is i'd I'd love to buy anywhere from 50 to 80 i'm typically putting in approximately 20 into these properties 20 to 25 i'd like to all in for sure at least properties that that i've done be all in under 100 be all in under 100 and then i'm renting from a thousand to 1400 if i can the the, the math on that sort of deal is pretty much always going to work out especially Mm -hmm. if you're holding long term yeah um if you have a voucher client in there so the 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 low-hanging fruits are what we and that's how we started Mm -hmm. um it's currently what we're doing um but you know that's not to say we won't eventually go and do some bigger deals, do some flips. But as of right now, the single-family Wilmington low-hanging fruit essentially is just just what we're going after. You and didn't talk about an ARV yeah. that you guys are striving what's the ARV? for. If you're a hundred in, what's yeah. So, are you trying to refinance all your guys' money, or are you guys okay with leaving a couple of dollars into the deal? Like, what's that look like inside your business model? Yeah. So we like to ref- and a, a perfect example is for Cedar Street, a project we just finished. That one um, just got appraised for, it has the ARV of 142 on there. I bought it for 75. I put in 20 and um, we're, it's 
we're about to refinance on that one. And so I will pull a little cash from that one and then nice. probably use that to go and buy this next one. And thankfully the prices are starting to soften a little bit. So hopefully we can get a, another deal nice. going. We can just keep on looking for deals. Yeah. You need to tell us what you guys are looking for so that we can go find two it. Two to for three, you. Nine, 900 to 1400 square feet. Yeah. Let's start home. collaborating more. Yeah. We're in the same office. So I don't understand why we haven't found you guys a deal yet because you guys don't or, tell us what or, you guys or, want. Or JV'd on a deal yet together. We really, like I still got to hit up Farhad. Yeah. Honestly on that. We got to bring you on to a podcast to get your criteria. This is crazy, man. Yeah. We could have been doing so much. We've been in the same office for the last six months. No. After this podcast, before the end of the year, we'll find you something. We'll get you guys to 25 units. Sounds good. We'll help you guys get there. Will you buy a property on Jessup Street? Yeah, I would buy a property yeah. on Jessup Street. My uncle has yeah, a property. Like a 30000 needs an, a total rehab. Honestly, Fire this and does, water damage. This kind of does fit your criteria, but it's kind as of As long as it's not going to fall over. We don't know that. We, yeah, we, I don't we, know. We, yeah. Okay. Well, we'll check it out. Yeah. <laughs> so what's your experience renting out, or I guess property management with people that have vouchers? So that, yeah, that's definitely a fun one. Um, it can be the best of the world. It could be the best of things or the worst of things I've, I've found. Um, at the end of the day, you know, having worked with people in unstable housing situations and mental health issues, I've seen that the, the people who do the best are the people who actually want to improve themselves. And you can kind of sniff that out almost right away. There are some people who are really good at hiding it and being sneaky. And I just actually just got got by a person who I thought was doing good and taking care of things, but she, she was a master manipulator. But wow. for the most part, you can generally tell like in a second, does this person have respect for the home? Do they have respect for themselves? Do they have respect for themselves? Honestly, is like going to do more it will give you more of an indication of what they're going to do to your home um and if the answer is no then i don't have a problem saying no i've met so are you people. like screen when you're screening them i guess you're like testing their I, we so um part of our renting process we actually have an interview we lay out the Wilmanvest tenant commitments and we just kind of talk with the person you know human to human you know, what are your goals? What are your intentions? And you can kind of tell where people's heads are at very quickly. And um, for the most part, we're very good at identifying people who actually want to improve their lives, improve themselves. And so those are typically the people that we will, will rent to and go to. Can you give us your nightmare real estate story <laughs> yeah. the person that wasn't motivated or no it doesn't need to be a person it could be a situation it could be a deal it could be anything give us your real estate horror story i think i'm i'm actually kind of dealing with it right now so i'm just kind of getting through it actually so the first house we bought 2019 we've had a client who who has been there ever since basically um she's been getting assistance for a long time and the the goal the entire time has been for her to save up, to get her own place, to move towards independence. But come to find out, you know, the entire time she's been, you know, blowing her money going to Vegas and 
buying really expensive hair and just not taking care of the things that she needed to take care. I mean, literally to the point where she's like not taking care of her kids well. She's not making sure that her kids have food. And it just got really, really bad um, to the point where, and then eventually she just up and left. She just, she just literally left the home, left all this stuff in the house. I mean, it's filthy. There's bugs in the house. It, it, it was like a scene from a horror movie. When How I long did you go I, without communication from her that you guys just walked into the house and it's like, and there's house. no one there. Yeah. No so, one there and bugs. So Bryce had been communicating over phone for a while. Um, we, we typically will do inspections of the unit. Um, and this was a lot, a lot more so, um, back when we were working directly with DHSS a lot closer, but, you know, and as you're getting more homes, you, you know, you have less time to, to go and check every single person. So, um, I know it for, for me, it had probably been not even that long, maybe two, three months since I had been in the home. That's crazy. I mean, I like not to, I, uh, my property management company inspects the home like once a year. Um, I'm in each of the homes, um, you know, if there's a maintenance request, obviously I'm there, but we're generally checking homes a couple times a year, two, three, four times a year. And, uh, she, she did a lot in a short period of time. And I know that when I would come sometimes, like she was very good, I guess, about cleaning mm-hmm. certain areas. Cause I had been in the house. I know I had been in the house not too long ago and it didn't look anything like that. Um, but she just kind of like gave up and come to find out from the neighbor she was struggling with like mental health issues and motive not motivated and staying in bed all day and it it just it got it got really bad and so to my point I said earlier if a person doesn't want to help themselves and you see that mm-hmm. it's kind of like game over and and that's going to translate into your home too so I can literally tell and see like with my tenants based on their like where they're at where they're going to go and in their head, what's going to happen. It's kind of uh reading minds. It's and so how do you tell them no? Like, do you have to provide a specific reason or are you just like, Oh, we found someone else. I, I typically will uh, use that tactic. Oh, you know, we've had another, um, applicant sex. Yes. Another selection. Um, but it, you know, we, we do run, credit history we do run you know through court history we'll vet for all those things so you know or or income also i know i've told i've told a couple because their income wasn't there where it needed to be we weren't comfortable renting to them what's your income criteria just i i just want to make sure that it aligns with you know where 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 everything they're making is not going to rent um okay. what people consider cost burden is when you're paying more than 30% of your income uh, to your rent. And I mean, in the, in these times and days, like there's a lot of people doing that. I mean, it's getting even harder for, I mean, some middle-class families, depending where you're at, even they're paying 30% of their income or more. So in a lot of cases, like it, it can be pretty tight, but again, that's why we typically go after people who have vouchers, people who have some income, and they can definitely cover their portion, uh, you know, with with their income. We have, 
I think two market rentals right now, but that's it. Most most of our people are on vouchers. Man, I went through the experience of renting to tenants for the first time ever, maybe like a year and a half, two years ago. And you always read these statistics that people in this country, the United States, would live paycheck to paycheck. And a lot of people do not make sometimes even two times rent. I don't know why they're getting into these units because it's definitely, like you say, it's a cost burden. But when you are just looking over these applicants, you just can't help but feel for these people like, oh, the system has failed you. I wouldn't say like you failed yourself or somebody in your life has failed you. It's just like there's just so many things wrong with the system that leads you to be lack of knowledge, lack of understanding of how financial literacy works and also the influences around them. Like you could kind of see the whole story of some people's lives through some of these applications, plus meeting them and knowing where they come from and knowing the hardships because it feels like I don't want to use this derogatory term derogatory term when I say poor people, but poor people like I've been poor and poor people, including my family, we run into a lot more issues than the average person. It feels like whenever there is a money issue, like car tire pops, it's a lot more of a headache and a burden than it is to than somebody who has an emergency fund. Mismanagement of money, bad stewardship really leads to... Man, I was just making the punchline. Generations. Generations of poverty, too. I mean... yeah. And a lot of these cases, I mean, we all, all most of our clients are all single mothers. But the sad thing is their mom and their mom's mom in a lot of cases have been in similar situations or they, they didn't even learn or know how to properly clean up, let alone manage, you know, finances. And I mean, the stories I've heard are just absolutely like just horrid. Yeah. Um, and it feels like like, the limits get pushed more and more and more with Every like all these people yeah. that I'm meeting. Yeah. And it, it, it's just like, I can't even say some of the stories on this podcast. I'd love to, but yeah. it's just like, it gets deep and, and rough and emotional. And yeah. there's been, I, I've had, there's been, you know, any business is tough, you know, up, downs, up, downs. What's really interesting in this business is there's been a couple points where, you know, things are boiling up and, you know, I may be thinking, oh, like, it's tough to keep going. It's tough. But every time I got to that point, I had an experience. It almost felt like a spiritual experience where the mother, you know, she opens up and I like hear what she's been through or or like hear, you know, how she's improving. It's so crazy. But at the times I needed it most, I always heard and saw these things from the families, and it's usually always the mother. You know, I hate that it's always usually just the mom, but that's the reality. I'd say all but one of our houses, um, all but one of the houses are all single mother households. But um, I, I, I get, I draw strength sometimes from them wanting to improve their situations. Struggle. That was the word that I was looking for. It just really feels like so much buildup and all these things back to back to back of one another struggle is such a perpetual problem 
that a lot of people go through that it just bogs them down. Like you talk about people who go through mental health um, situations that really hinder them from performing at the best of their ability. But when you're always being discouraged by the outside factors of life in which you cannot control, it always feels like the situation is not going to get better. And that's where that mindset, if nobody teaches that type of mindset of things will continue to get better as long as you control the factors in which you can influence and impact, people don't know that and people will just constantly feel like a victim. People will constantly feel like life is just happening to them. And I don't blame them that they feel that way because that's what everybody within the system has taught them. And that's what everybody in their surrounding, inside their environment, like Kenny has talked about it, where he comes from an environment in which, hey, people are just slinging drugs and everyone's competing to be, you know, the best drug dealer making the most amount of money who has the most organized trap system <laughs> yeah it, it's just you are a product of, of your environment your uh-huh. environment yeah so can you talk to us a little bit about your mindset how have you gotten to the point that you are today how have you grown where did you grow from and where you continue to invest in yourself so you can continue to grow yeah, absolutely so I definitely have to attribute my motivation, my mindset very much to my family, um, both on my mom's side and my dad's side, actually, there was um, there was this entrepreneurial nature. Um, my dad and uncles, they had the construction businesses. My grandpa, uh, he has a pizzeria. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's funny, the two very different businesses, but my mom worked in that pizzeria for a lot of her childhood. So she also had these ethics and values and was just a very hard worker. Um, so first and foremost, they pushed me. I mean, I didn't even really have a choice. I was just, I always had to perform. And, and I generally like that. That's something about my personality. I like to achieve. I like to be outspoken. I, I So that coupled with what they put into me was just like a a recipe for success I like to think and then I just very much believe you have to show up you know um I I was very adamant especially all through college and I should probably pick this back up but going to every single event that was there um mostly a lot of them were in Wilmington but I would just show up and I would network I believe very much in making relationships and learning from people. So that also kind of fired me up in college. And when I started getting these little victories, and I'll I'll never forget where it really started was um, freshman year, Gary Johnson, funny enough, he had a pitch competition called Raising Kings just for $1,000. It wasn't really any money. I, I went there, I pitched, I put myself out there, and I used that money to buy a MacBook. I bought the MacBook, started winning little pitch competitions here and there in my freshman year I got the horn scholarship once I got that scholarship I said I can do anything and really just hit hit the road and started pushing um pushing to go to every event show up and accomplish as much as I could and um it it just kept adding to you know adding to the foundation Um, But I'm always trying to be cognizant of the fact that there's a lot more to grow. Um, 
and just stay very humble and know this is a this is a journey. Um, specifically, Vince instilled something in me. He said, you know, to 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 achieve purpose, you have to sacrifice some profit. And I I believe you can have a good life where you know you're creating good impact. And then you might, and you can make a little bit less, but that's okay for me. Um, I want to do good work and I obviously want to take care of myself. Um, and so that's, that's really important thing to me. I'm okay with going a little bit slower right now. And specifically with this tax credit development work that I do, I'm learning. I took this job because this is the highest level of development in affordable housing that you can do period. And so my goal one day ultimately is to be a developer of these affordable housing complexes. And with all the stuff I'm doing now, um, you know, in the meantime, the community relationships and everything that I'm making, that's setting me up to one day go into that space because you have to have connections to go into that space. You have to have year long relationships in the government, in your state to even get a chance at the at those deals. So um, that's my north star is to do those tax credit development deals, and um, I I feel like this is a really good path to that because it's an extremely there's an extremely high barrier of entry into that space, but this work uh, is helping me chip away at that. I think something that's super interesting that you and I both align on is definitely sacrificing the profits up front in order to gain the knowledge and the experience and that when you build the right relationships even if you're sacrificing half the equity 70 percent of the equity whatever the equity and the money is not the point in the very beginning and to be fair it's never the point the main point is to make as much impact live out a huge purpose lead other people if that's your calling and in order to do all those things, you can't be greedy and have 100% of the pie when really that's so short-sighted, so small picture. But when you look at the really big picture, if you have even 1% of a ginormous pie, you're well taken care of. And so is 99% of the, of the people who own that share of the pie. And I think that's super amazing that, hey, we're in the same office and we're both doing different things. But you're not envious of what we do because, yes, sure, we chase after really big numbers and we're churning out houses and everything. But we have a different purpose, different mission statement, different values, or similar values, different mission statement, different purposes. But we can still align, respect one another, and maybe in the future even collaborate and help each other get to one another's goals. I think that's super amazing. And, okay, Joel, you tell me if this statement... You tell me if this statement resonates with you or not, because Josh here, he's like a newer entrepreneur. I feel like the beginning of any entrepreneurial venture is the most exciting part of the venture. And it's that moment when you start succeeding and then succeeding some more and then exponentially growing. You have to work so much harder in order to stay humble. You have to work so much harder to stay motivated and determined because that any moment at any point you start if you start giving in to the realization that you're doing well that you are miles ahead of other people and you're comparing yourself to 
people that are not yourself and your old you, you start not living out your big purpose. You start giving in to mediocrity. You start giving in to mediocrity and you're not working nearly as hard because you feel like you've already worked hard enough to establish a cushion. So that's why when I talk to older entrepreneurs and they tell me that, man, the most fun that I've ever had was in the beginning when I had no money and I had to always just chase and build all these new relationships and build everything up from the ground zero. Would you say like that's part of the most exciting part of entrepreneurship? I mean, I would say that the beginning is definitely, it is, there is a lot of fun, you know, because it's it's funny at the same time, like you don't have as much responsibility and risk and things going on. I mean, when we're building this thing, it's it, 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 right. I, I think going to the competitions and meeting people and all the hosh posh that went with it, that was really fun. And it, it didn't really start to get, you know, like hard, frustrating until you actually do the thing and you have customers and you're growing and like that, that it's, it is fun. It's like a different kind of fun though too it just it seems the beginning to me is of course it's serious but i don't know if less serious is the right uh yeah word because i'll give you guys another year when you guys at 25 units i'll ask the same question again (laughs) he's not he's not 25 units i'm not 25 units either but that's less of the point but when you get to 25 units and then you start having bryce roll around with his intern or his employee I feel like you're going to be saying different. It's like, you know, the whole business is under control. We're just bringing in deals, funneling them in. Same process. Yeah. I think, yeah. I mean, there's there's always going to be some some stress that, that comes with it. Uh, at the end of the day, I know like this, this space, the work that we do, it is exciting to me. Um, it is fun. So I think we're always going to like what we do. But I, I, I think for the most part, I agree with what you're saying in the beginning it's just it's 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 different it is it is different there is a lot of aspects of fun to it but i i don't want i don't want to say that it's not fun yeah, running you, yeah. a business yeah, i don't want to paint once the picture that it, it's like it's human gloom sad. once you start to have and grow the business no um, so the whole reason why i even bring that up is because i started the whole, you know, you saw me in college and I was buying houses and flipping them and I had partnerships here and there, but most of the time it was me. And when I got to the point of about August, 2020, it really felt like, wow, I flatlined. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I can keep on buying properties, can keep on continuing to work the same systems, but I'm not really building anything great, working a bigger purpose and having people on my team live the same way that, you know, Kenny and I are doing right now. I had to totally reinvent myself in order to get to this new level, play a bigger game, right? And then it became exciting to me all over again. I think the beauty in entrepreneurship is that there's so many opportunities to reinvent yourself, to play a larger game and not stay complacent if you don't want to stay complacent. And sometimes it's just okay to accept where you are in your role. And if you don't want to grow to a super big company, that's totally okay. If you love the interaction with your tenants in your community and getting to know them and their families and supporting them in this way. And that's part of your long-term vision. None of this big business stuff really matters at the end of the day. And I think at the end, it just, at the end, 
all that really matters is what matters to you what is your purpose and are you living true to yourself and not the expectations of others right 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 and and one thing Bryce and I were intentional about you know because we knew we were sacrificing a little bit of profit and and time is we said while we're letting this grow both of us are going to get very sharp in real estate related activities that will directly benefit Wilma Invest in the long run. And so him being an agent, me being an analyst uh, within an underwriting department is really setting us up well to have the skills to take this thing to the next level. Because um, I can agree with what you're saying and, you know, probably getting to a point here where we, we, we definitely do need to get together and have a strategic session with some of our other partners and really talk about how we're going to blow this thing up beyond the the 25 properties and uh we'll get reinvigorated with that um dude maybe we'll build 10,000 affordable <laughs> you think Wilmington has yeah. that much space for 10,000 new affordable rental units or will we need to like tear down a block I think we'll have to blow up the east side <laughs> we need to get rid of the, the east, east side down yeah. the east side and starting then, with that one property they're, they're, at Jessup yeah on Jessup they're, Street. they're already starting to do it they, yeah. they really are uh Wilmington, people have been talking about this coming in Wilmington Mm -hmm. for a long time, and I finally feel like I'm starting to see that, 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 that wave. I'm seeing the property values jump like I had, I would never have imagined them before. Um, There's large scale developments happening in different neighborhoods, and it's not just like one thing. They're kind of feeding off of each other so i think eventually they are going to change some of these neighborhoods but do you I think hope. they're going to change it like gent- gentrify it where it like Absolutely. kicks out yeah. yeah it's going to be yeah i mean it's they're going to to make that type of progress mm-hmm. they i think absolutely are going to end up ultimately displacing some folks yeah. because move them to dover yeah it's Whoa. just it's 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 going to have at the end of the day like real estate is funny because like there 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 are these um ethical moral things that are come into question and Mm -hmm. it's it's really interesting but you you have to if you're in real estate you have to own it you have to respect it and like just know that these these ethical moral dilemmas are there and see sometimes the bigger picture like i personally think the progression that could happen to that area mm-hmm. does outweigh the minimal, you know, the, the effects some, some people getting displaced. And that's just like a developer investor thing. You know, some people might feel differently, but I, I, I personally would love to see some more progression in those East side neighborhoods. And like, I think that's the only way, honestly, at this point, it's gotten so bad in some of those areas, they have to demolish the whole block and put something up nice. Yeah, coupled with development, you also have to add education into it Yeah, or additional programs. And we have the Riverfront Mastermind, our small real estate meetup that we hope to blow up to 200, 250 plus people by the end of the year, which is a very lofty goal, but we believe in it and we want to work hard to get people into that mastermind so that we can give them proper education about real estate if that is an interest of them, because people inside the city of Wilmington, if they had just known, like Kenny was hustling drugs, if they had just known that they could use their same superpowers of determination, motivation, 
and sales that they don't even realize are sales skills or even organization. The entrepreneurial skills, yeah. They can absolutely if we educate them on how to be proper entrepreneurs working within the lines in the boundaries, which are still very wide, they could take control of their neighborhoods, their communities. And the reason why they're displaced or gentrified out of their neighborhoods is because they don't own any of it. They're renting all of it. And it's sad, but there are many ways to buy real estate with low and no money down, but they just don't know. And Uh honestly, I didn't know until I researched it off the internet. Right. And people sometimes don't even go onto the internet or know that that's what they need to look for. So if we can plant a seed into these people to just explore their curiosities in real estate and then they do even more research, they go and talk to people like you and I or Josh or other people who have experience in real estate the possibilities then open up. Mm-hmm. Pandora's box opens up. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that actually because this is what, what I think may ultimately become a specialty of ours. Um, specifically, Bryce being the agent is kind of the uh, face of this relationship. But I mentioned CRA earlier, Community Reinvestment Act officers. There are actually CRA mortgage lenders at some of these banks. Very niche type of lender. Uh, kind of hard to come across, but there's a couple of them throughout the state. And these CRA mortgage lenders can provide straight up down payment assistance in the form of grants for people low income or if properties are in specific areas. So we're intentional about educating our clients who have been renting for a year to, like we have one Rhonda Somerville who she's hoping to buy a home soon. And we paired her up with our guy, Nick at WSFS, who's the CRA mortgage officer, because I know she'll qualify based on her income. She can get up to $10,000 of down payment assistance towards a home. So that connection right there for a person who's low income and has been, maybe not had their home, been renting for two, three years could be life-changing for them. That's the truest impact that we can have as a company is turning some of these families into homeowners um it it's it's a harder thing to do you know in reality you know we've seen a lot of people who are doing good and then they don't you know stop doing good or people who said they were doing these things and then turns out they weren't doing these things so getting people to ultimately come around to take care of their business and do what they need to do is a tough thing you know we can't babysit everyone walk them every single step of the way but if they truly want to help themselves we've identified pretty much all the pieces that they need to actually get themselves going and 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 very much want them to take that step so that's that's another piece of uh piece of our model that we um are intentional about and we share and is actually the reason why discover you know will talk to us or you know because they have a vested interest in seeing this model they want to be the mortgage lender so that some of those unique things that we uh talk about are are like that that's kind of why we get the support that we do and and because we're willing to explore those paths and even have those conversations with the tenant because a landlord typically would never have that conversation with the tenant no it's unconventional never we like that's not really what's done but that's that's 
why and how we are different. I feel like we align a lot when it comes to relationships and education. And in the same way, whether you're a high-level entrepreneur or not even an entrepreneur, I think that is what levels up your life. That exposes a whole lot of meaning and purpose when you pursue relationships with different people, when you pursue different types of education. And I'm not talking about going to college. I'm not going I'm not talking about going to high school, but pursuing what you're interested in, diving deeper, drilling down, and exploring what is the desire of your heart to know more of, and then making that your thing. I really loved our conversation today, Joel. You have any final things that you want to talk to Joel about, Josh? So do you I know you connect the your tenants with the lender. Do you guys have any, I guess, programs or like give any booklets out uh, to teach, I guess, like financial literacy? Um, it's actually funny. Bryce has been talking about creating this for okay. a, a long time. He hasn't gotten around to it yet. Um, but there is also a group called Stepping Stones Credit Union who we have worked with and explored a partnership with. They're the financial literacy partner that we've used in most cases where you know say a client's in our house they have a case manager there's x y and z they need to work on one of those things is financial literacy they're connected with stepping stones credit union and then they go through the various program or programs that they have there so we've kind of gotten to this point or at least more recently we say let people do what they're good at We'll do what we're good at. We just make sure that the connection and resource is there. So as of right now, we have stepping stones at credit union or groups like that primarily who would do the uh, actual counseling. Um, we've talked about and explored having resources embedded into our website, for example, or tenant portal where they could log in and, and, and watch these videos. Um, I know it's actually something that banks are interested in. I had a conversation not too long ago, actually, in New York with a woman from Chase. Um, and it's funny, out this conference, it was NextGen, uh, the most recent NextGen, which the NextGen four years ago or three years ago is where we actually landed the investor for $100,000. So this conference brings together a lot of professionals, entrepreneurs, and this woman was a CRA officer at JP Morgan and Chase. And she told me, she showed me their platform that is essentially what you're talking about. They have an internal uh, class resource that they're trying to push to lower income families. So the banks know this is a, a uh, potential opportunity. Mm -hmm. They need to distribute that and get it on the streets to people and so i think that this is a matt parks himself has said he's the head cra guy at discover bank he said this is a billion dollar problem it's a billion dollar problem if you can solve the problem and really intentionally connect people with these cra mortgage lenders and the products they're trying to put together i think that's a truly powerful thing and um, a lot of banks are putting together videos and these virtual educational resources in the form of these videos and trying to push them out. But I think they need partners on the ground, landlord partners specifically, which I think is the whole key 
unique thing here because again, landlords never had a vested interest in the outcome of a tenant, mm-hmm. even though they're receiving rent and yeah. assistance. And our argument, our main thing is if a landlord can receive consistent government subsidy, mm-hmm. they should be aligned with the organization who's providing the subsidy or there should be some type of, I think, a little something more. And so people um, kind of agree with that or at least that we've been um, working with and they're supporting us because of it. And I really think it is a big need. So um, that was a great point, Josh. You have any final remarks, any shout outs, anything <laughs> that you want to put out to the audience that you want to ask for, or you want them to follow you in any way, stay connected to you? Yeah, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to come here and, 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 you know, be on here with you guys. I, I very much respect and admire the work that you do, Jesse, and the work that you do, Josh. Um, I'm just thankful to everyone who's supported us along our, our journey, investors, donors, Bryce, Demetrius, Ron Barry, um, CSC Station. Oh, and Horn. I can't, obviously cannot forget Horn Entrepreneurship. Um, but yeah, I just, I really appreciate you guys allowing me to come on here and uh, I look forward to developing, building and investing with you guys in the future. How can people stay in touch with you or reach out to you if they have anything to offer or may want to know more about what you're talking about? Yep. Feel free to reach out to us at wilminvest.com. You can check out our website. You can see some cool articles that have been published about us. We're also stop by CSC Station anytime. Cool. Thanks a lot, Joel. Appreciate it, man. All right. Thanks, guys.